the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. We are grateful for you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon, and I uh, hope you're having a great day. Usually, I'm joined by Ian Simpkins. Ian, though, is out for the week, enjoying some family time here in the middle of the summer, so hopefully Ian gets rest for some rejuvenation, uh, and I'm flying solo for the rest of the week. But one thing I like to do uh, when one of us is not here is to bring in some pastor friends, to bring in other interesting people uh, so you don't have to just listen to us talk. And uh, I think we are going to enjoy the guy who's going to be here for the next hour, Mike Klemecki. Did I just get your name right there? You did good. Good. Mike Klemecki. He's the pastor of New Hope Community Church in Lombard. No, and- Villa Park. Oh, is it Villa Park? That's okay. Ah, it's right next door. They are. It's all like one area to me, kind of North Avenue and St. Yeah. Charles and Lombard North would not appreciate you uh, <laughs> saying that we're in Lombard. Villa Lombard. He is in. <laughs> he is the pastor of New Hope Community Church in Villa Park. Mike Klemecki joining us for this whole first hour. Thanks for being here, man. That's very nice of you to say interesting and passer in one sentence. That's very nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good for you. Or the last thing we said to each other was, let's not get ourselves in trouble here. So we'll see how this goes. Mike and I, <laughs> Mike and I have actually gotten to know each other over the last couple of years uh, as part of a, uh, uh, of a pastor's group called the 67 Group with some other pastors in the area, which maybe we'll get into later because it's just been a fascinating uh, part of my life to get to know other pastors who... Uh, we have nothing to do with our churches aren't connected in any way. It's just we're pastor. I'm a pastor. You're a pastor. Let's talk about it. And uh, that group's been really good for me. Yeah, we joined together as uh, same in, week incoming freshmen. <laughs> and and then uh, quite rapidly after that, most of the guys left that group. Uh, we, are we, not, came in. we are not going to connect those two things at all. <laughs> We're not going to connect them. So My psychologist said I should not connect those. <laughs> the best thing is the counselor you've been seeing, I gave to you. You so. did. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank if you. that tells you anything about our relationship and the two of us. Uh, so two quick things I want to get out of the way and talk about. First, tell us about your church, New Hope Community Church in Villa Park, because it's an interesting model. You kind of do church differently than a lot of pastors in the western suburbs of Chicago. So describe New Hope Community Church for us. Um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, I mean, we we would be uh, theologically conservative, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I mean, we're, we try to not cater to any certain people group or whatever, yeah. but we try to have everybody feel very welcome and feel like family. And um, I think just the style is, I, I call it a warm church culture, you mm-hmm, know, like, mm-hmm. like when I went, you know, we, like, I think we've taken missions trips to different like areas yep. where it's like, you know, Latin America or Africa or something like that. And it's a very 
warm church culture there because, you know, time is sort of like fluid, you know, and it's more conversational and all that kind of stuff. And it's not so much like, okay, uh, we're going to, you know, do this part, do this part, do this part, and then let you guys go. It, we try to make it a little bit more fluid and we try to make the sermon a little bit more conversational as we, yeah. as we can ask people questions. Cause I realize that I'm not the only guy that God talks to people are ta- getting talked to by God, you know, in that congregation. So yeah. I have to do, you know, do my due diligence and kind of get that out of them. Cause it helps me. I'm eh, basically, it's just me being selfish <laughs> that way they could do the work for me and there I can you just go. sit there and learn, you know, there you go. And what makes you interesting too, is uh, you're a bivocational pastor, which what that means is you're a pastor, but also have another job. Yeah. And, um, and you've been very helpful for me as I've been taking on this radio gig to go along with my pastor job. Yes. Uh, but you've you come have, to the dark side. There you go. You have somewhat, uh, you do it out of necessity, but also out of passion. Like you, yeah. and that always strikes me as interesting when you and I have talked about it. So where, Tell me your passion for bivocational ministry. Where does that come from? And talk to me about uh, how that maybe makes your ministry and uh, and just kind of your life fuller. Yeah, I. Uh, this sounds like a conversation that we've had before, it right? Does, yeah. It does. Um, so, yeah, bivocational pastor, or if you want to be cool, you can say bivo. Bivo, pastor. yeah. It doesn't feel like it's needed to, to shorten it, but people do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've been a bivocational pastor ever since I was a youth minister. Okay. You know? So I've been at this church for like 25 years or something like that. Um, they have not kicked me out yet. I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, I, I've been doing something else besides pastoring for like the past 25 years. And I think the the, the big idea is that it helps me to get out of – I here's one thing. Oh, that's another story we could talk about. Um, when, uh, when I was um, – uh, you know, really into like, you know, at first becoming the senior pastor and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I would lock myself in my office and I listened to my professors who said, oh, you need to spend like, you know, 20 or 25 hours doing your sermon yep. prep and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm like, oh, OK, they, they they know better. I, sh- I should do that. And I was just miserable. I don't know mm. why. And I and I the worst shit I, I compared myself to many other churches yes. and I just got jealous and it was driving me crazy. I mean, I was like that for like a year or something like that. Um, at the time, I was doing like a, a bus driving thing, you know, mm. but that didn't take a take a lot of my day. And so I just got so tired of myself and I wrote, actually wrote an apology out, had a friend of mine check it over to make sure I spelled everything right. <laughs> and I just basically said to the pastors of Villa Park, uh, I apologize for being so... Um, uh, competitive, competitive yeah. minded. And I want to be cooperative, you know? So, and so I went and I hand delivered this letter to most of the pastors I could find in Villa park. And I was surprised how many pastors were like not in their office ever, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're all in the coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it was weird because I, when I went to these offices, I just felt like a real resistance Oh, and until I came with an apology and then like, just like you could feel like a wall come down and like acceptance, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you could feel also like this almost like relief, like, oh my gosh, someone else feels this way too yep, kind yep. of thing. It was really weird. There's one guy who was at this uh, Lutheran church, a little bit more liberal, and and he did not want me to come in. And at this point in my in my uh, life, I kind of had longer hair, you know? The, <laughs> I was like rocking, you know, the below shoulder length hair. Nice. This was, yeah, this is like shortly, after, shortly after my youth pastor days. So he was like, I don't want to talk to that guy, you know? So he kept tell him, telling the secretary not to let me in and all this kind of stuff. So at the, like the third time I showed up, he finally let me in. 
And and wouldn't you know it, this guy became one of my best friends really? in the ministry. I mean, awesome. theologically, we had almost nothing in common, you know what I mean? But we just got along so well. And I and it's weird because I think it's I think it's like pastors are just kind of lonely, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're in their hundred percent. Yeah, they're in their office. They're you know the kings of their kingdom, the queens of their kingdom. But it's it's just four walls, you yep. know. And you know a lot of times it's it's scary out there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you can go to Starbucks and kind of get away from that thing, which is really good, you know. Then you're still putting your earpods in, and yeah, you're yeah. still like isolated yep. and all that kind of stuff. So I think being a bivocational pastor, it helps you really to not only be a servant, yeah, <laughs> um, and realize you're not in charge of like everything in the world, you know, um, but. You are there amongst the people who don't give a a, a flying crap about anything it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about about anything that you're 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 doing in church. Yep. They don't care. They don't care about what nope. you know theologically. And what do you do right now? What's your what's your other job? Uh, right now, I'm working at a friend's wheel and tire warehouse. Yeah. I used to do warehouse work for about five or six years, but now I'm doing video production and social media and all that kind of stuff. Uh, which has been great, you know. Yeah. That's, that's been that's been really awesome. That's that's definitely been like a passion I've always had, you know, in in that in that realm and everything. But yeah, so the bivocational thing helps me also to realize that people don't have all the time in the world that I think they have to yep. do my stuff that I want done in my church. Yep. And so we don't have a lot, uh, like a, a big heavy menu at our church, you know, because of that. I think, but um, but I think it uh, it it helps people to realize, you know, they have to kind of get motivated and do yeah. their stuff. Yeah. You know? Well, that's Mike Klemecki. I'm very excited to have him in here. He is the pastor at New Hope Community Church in Villa Park. Hey, Villa Park. There you go. I got it right this time. Uh, here's a tease. Uh, about a year or two ago, Mike should have died, and he's going to tell us that story, and I'd love to hear what how that's changed your life. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, and uh, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out and about enjoying family time over the next couple of days. Uh, his his young sons, his wife, enjoying some family time, so we're excited for him. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, review, and we thank you for doing that. Uh, well, in this first hour, I'm joined in studio by Mike Klemecki. He is the pastor at New Hope Community Church in Villa Park. Uh, we spent the first segment just talking about his background and uh, especially as a bivocational uh, pastor. Uh, but, Mike, there was a huge deal. I remember uh, in March of 2017, the re- reason I remember it is because I remember exactly where I was because we were on spring break. Uh, I was by the pool with my kids. And I remember getting an email from the other guys, you and I are in a pastor's group together. So from the other guys, all of a sudden this email went out and it it said like, Hey, you need to be praying. Mike is like something happened and he might die. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And it was like, it was ruined your vacation, man. I felt so bad about that. It was crazy. And the, uh, the short story is that you essentially, your heart stopped basically in a movie theater. Mm. Uh, and it's quite miraculous that you're even sitting here today. And I, love for you to tell us about the tattoo you have too to uh, to to signify it but why don't you tell the audience the story because it's a fascinating story but maybe the reader's digest version of actually how close you actually came to dying oh yeah sure absolutely so um yeah so we were in the movie theater uh and we're watching logan which was uh, you know a big star big uh, superhero uh fan star wars fan 
So, um, so my wife and I, you know, go on a date. We don't, you don't get to go on dates much, right? Mm. So, I go on a date and I totally ruin it by, by dying. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, it was uh, I was sitting there in the theater, and during the climax of the movie, where you know, no spoilers, but you know, it's like it's, it's been a while now. So it's big, yeah, big climax. You know, Logan's fighting each other. Um, and, uh, then I just kind of pass out and my wife is thinks, thinks I'm joking for some reason, but there's no, there's no, or, or I'm sleeping, but there's no way I would be sleeping. During yeah, this movie. yeah. Absolutely no way. So she says, you know, she shakes me and I'm not moving. So she just says, you know, around her call 911, call 911. And it's a small theater. It's, okay. very, it's very, very small. So people are all kind of getting it. And then, um, yeah, they they turn they shut the 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 movie off. They turn the lights on, which I still feel bad about because <laughs> it was it was such a good scene. You know, it was like so intense. You still feel bad. I do. About I feel bad it. about that. I mean, you know, you know, there's people there that are like me that like are purists and yep. they want to see this movie, you know, without an interruption. Um, and so, yeah, the paramedics come in and they determine that I had um, uh, uh, fibromyalgia, which is basically where your heart starts to um, just vibrate. It's not beating. No blood is going anywhere. And so they strap me in. They uh, get me over to the ambulance, and then they um, put me in. And during in the ambulance, I guess I coded out two times. Wow. So I, I died two times, I think. And there might have been a third at the hospital. I can't remember. Um, but they basically, during that time, the doctor, uh, the cardiologist, was telling my wife and saying, hey, you know, um, this is a pretty bad situation. We're not looking for this to, you know, really get better. Um, you know, he, if he does come through this, he could be like a vegetable because it's been so long uh-huh. since his brain got blood and all this kind of stuff and oxygen. Um, the, uh, the chaplain told us after we left the hospital that, uh, she was ordered to get a, a certificate, a certificate of death going, you know, to uh, fill it to out prepare, for me, yeah. to prepare it and everything. Yeah. So it was like pretty grim. Unfortunately, they put me in an induced coma. Um, uh, they, they froze me basically, you know, in, in this uh, process. And so hot and solo in empire. Strikes exactly. Back, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent parallel. That's awesome. I knew you'd appreciate that one. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I laid there in a coma for like, uh, like three days and my wife was, was praying. I mean, everybody was praying for me and my, and I, I got three teenage daughters. Mm-hmm. So they were just like beside themselves. They didn't know what to do and everything. And, um, yeah. And the doctor was, you know, so basically I got 5% chance to get out of this and to be normal. And, uh, so, uh, amazingly after the third day, um, this could be like a, maybe, a I don't know, illustration for my next, uh, Easter, Easter yeah, yeah. sermon or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I came through and I was dazed, but I was talking like normal. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't remember what I said. I'm probably said something embarrassing, but I was just talking in, incredibly normal to everybody starting up conversations and everything. And, and the people were amazed wow. at, and this is Elmer's hospital. They did a great job. They were just amazed and they called me the miracle in room uh, seven, which is pretty funny, you know? It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And then we got around, you know, we got around that this happened. It was like this big recovery and the, and the hospital really thought this was a huge deal. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. To the point where the, um, you know, the, the process that they had to freeze me was a very new process that they had. And I was only like maybe the second or third person that went through this. And because I was such a success story, they, uh, invited me to a, a compendium of um, of uh, 
uh, doctors and nurses to talk. And so my whole family went and we got the share there mm-hmm. and I got to, you know, talk about, you know, just, um, you know, how God brought me through and everything. And I encouraged them being in the hands of God that they help people and everything. Uh, so God really opened up a lot of stuff. And, yeah. and consequently, I got I got this tattoo that says 5% on there. And then I also have Ephesians 2.10 on that same tattoo, and that's um, the verse, um, uh, for we're God's masterpieces created yeah. in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has uh, predestined us to do. Because that was the theme that people kept saying when they came to visit. And they all said it, oh, you're around for a reason because you know you have other good things to do. God's not ready yeah. for you to leave yet. And that was kind of like the theme, so I got that on my um, and your forum, yeah, yeah. My forum, and now and it's also the passcode on my phone too. So that's awesome. No, uh, it's almost like a made-for-TV movie. You come out, but I'm. Uh, what's been interesting is to watch you then when life becomes more normal, right? Like yes. you become, you eventually come out of the hospital, and you've got to be dad and husband and pastor again, right? How did that experience, in good ways and bad ways, kind of affect you, change you, and uh, what was it like the aftermath of that? Yeah, the aftermath was was weird because, well, it it really brought my wife and I closer, but she was also like so nervous. Now mm. my kids were also like having dreams, like you know, just like bad dreams of you know me dying and all this kind of stuff. So we really had to pray that through. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, uh, but overall, like our family is just like realizing how precious time is. And yep. it sounds like Hallmark and no, everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's like super true yep. and everything. It was tough for me to get back into the pastor gig because uh, I thought I was okay, you know, and then slowly I started to, it wasn't like a full, um, full blown depression, but I just wasn't like passionate about ministry mm-hmm. for whatever reason. It's almost like, you know. Um, there, there, there's like this comic book that I used to read called new mutants and like, you know, they, they, uh, some creature came and killed them and then rose them again from the dead. But they were just so like, so like blase about their life afterwards. You know, that's why I felt, I felt very blase about life gotcha. until I got to talk it through with some friends, the 67 group, talk it through with yep. you as well. Yep. And, um, and that really helped having people there to talk it through and to, to, not necessarily agree with you, but to challenge you and to say, Hey, you know, you, you, uh, you, you, you're, this is for a reason. This is for a purpose. You know what I mean? We're going to help you get through this. Talk to, uh, your buddy, the therapist uh, a few times, you (laughs) know? Um, but all that stuff, all that stuff helped. I mean, people being there and, and my, my congregants also being there and saying, you know, Hey, just take some time, you know, don't feel like you have to do everything at once, you know, and it, just that, that support really helped it. Cause it, yeah. it was, there was a, a lag of, you know, feeling good about getting through it, then feeling kind of bad that I had to go through it. You yeah. know? And now I, I feel like I'm back on the upswing, which good. is nice. This is a really bad analogy, but my family, we were watching the movie cast away the other day with Tom Hanks. And I always think the most fascinating part of that movie is like, he gets off the island. It's his big party. Everyone's crazy. And then life goes back to normal. He doesn't know what to do. Yes. He's just kind of like, yes. what is normal anymore? So uh, such a crazy story. Maybe you've got a story like that out there and you'd love to connect with Mike. You can do so by connect, uh, contacting us over Facebook. Uh, we would love to do that. Well, you have another crazy story I'd like to talk about. We we could do two whole shows on your crazy stories, but uh, <laughs> another one uh, that I want to talk about here. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Ian Simpkins is out today. He is uh, spending time with his family, 
uh, enjoying this beautiful summer weather. So I am in right now for this first hour uh, with a pastor friend of mine, Mike Klemecki uh, from... Uh, New Life Community Church in New Villa Park. Ah, You'll get got it. it. That's okay. I got it. Got it. New. new uh, now, new, but I got Villa Park new, right. New name church. <laughs> it's new. There's hope. There's life. There's community. <laughs> uh, he is in with us. And last segment, I would encourage if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to our podcast. Mike shared a crazy story uh, about how he literally was to the point where he had a five percent chance of living after a, a heart issue. And uh, and what that did to him and, he, and and the kind of the thing that we don't think about is how do you go back to normal, quote unquote, normal life after that? Well, you have another crazy story further back in your background that I want to touch on. Uh, you don't like really like the, uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't like to be the uh, crazy story guy. Yeah. You got to go through them. But uh, <laughs> I don't even know how many years ago, but years ago, uh, your toddler daughter at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, you lost her for a while in the woods, and it was a story all over the news now, here in the don't Chicago. Don't be unfair. I didn't lose her now. Don't okay. Be unfair. okay. Well, how, you how tell how me dare the story. You, sir. There you go. Because this story, <laughs> it wasn't just a small story. This story was all over the Chicagoland news. It was it was big news at the time. So yeah, why went, don't you remind went, uh, us and tell us that story? It went worldwide, actually. Worldwide. Yeah. There you go. Why don't you tell us the story? Okay. Um, yeah, this was this was uh, this is going to be a story that a lot of people in Chicago might remember. Mm-hmm. And if you do then you're a part of our family because mm. I know that you're praying for us. Mm. Uh, so 15 years ago, um, my daughter was five. So right, I'm sorry, no, it was like 12 years ago. So right now she's uh, going to be going into college, actually. Wow. Um, so uh, when she was five years old, uh, she was uh, in a boat with my dad on the Kinky River, and they were going up to a little beach uh, outpost that they went to quite a few quite a few times. Um, and... Um, they would go and like play in the water, all that kind of stuff. Cause my dad was a huge fisherman and okay. you know, big, big with the river boats and all that kind of stuff. That was his dream thing. And so they were like, you know, real buddy buddies, my dad and my daughter. So, uh, they went up there and then, you know, this is just a crazy fluke, but for some reason he just, he drowned. We don't know what happened. Uh, but maybe like the suction pulled him under cause oh, it wow. was, it was called whirlpool. Ben was the place that they were at and like little whirlpools would, form on the top but didn't it wasn't like bad or anything but it it just rained and so it might have been more treacherous we'd have no idea um and then my daughter was left to her own uh now my wife and i heard about the day after by that time she was missing for a day and a night when we heard about it and so you know we totally freaked out because this was uh uh, you know we we lost a, a child ahead of her uh after two days our first son um uh, died. So we thought, well, you know, this, this can't happen again. There's no way. So we had to go down to Kankakee, you know, from Villa park. And, um, uh, it was, it was surreal because oh there was gosh. like helicopters, you know, and there was, you know, police and there was firefighters and all this stuff. And there, the base of operations were, was a little bit farther down, uh, from where my parents live, which was in a subdivision of moments, uh, right off the river. They were on the, um, the border of Illinois, and uh, Indiana. And so we went down there and we had no idea what was going on. We went to the site. We saw the boat. We saw her life jacket there. Um, we, and so we thought. Had they found your dad at this point? No, no. Oh, so okay. they're still looking in the river. They're looking for two bodies. Wow. Um, and uh, so, and we thought, you know, we, we didn't know what was going on, but we, you know, we, we're people of faith and we mm-hmm. hope, you know, and, 
it was funny because there there was a, a mantra that kept running through my mind. I think it's Philippians uh, four seventeen. Um, so don't be anxious about anything, mm-hmm. but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and uh, the peace of God will uh, fill your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was praying to God. I would try to always every time I would worry and get a picture in my head, I was always try to pray. And, um, but the peace wasn't coming, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know, God, you gotta give me some peace here. Come on, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so for the whole day, I mean, you know, it was just like a complete nightmare you yeah. know, what was going on. And so we had family down there and everything. Um, they're looking, they had to stop for the night, you know? And I remember that night, my wife and I, uh, we were sitting on the bank of the river and we're looking out across the river and there's a bunch of woods there. And we're just thinking to ourselves, oh, my gosh, you know, our daughter, you know, might be out there. You Unbelievable. Know? And I'm still holding on hope that she's alive and that yep. somehow, like, you know, the life jacket thing, you know, wasn't an omen of, you know, bad news or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, and what I just did was I just started reading the Psalms. I just started, you know, from Psalm 1, I just started reading. I think I got maybe to Psalm 10 or something like that. Just trying to fill our minds with, you know, hope, right? Trying to figure out, like... You know, what can we do in this situation? Yeah. And you, it's funny because whenever you go to like, whenever you have a bunch of tragedy, you go back to like the basics, like, mm. okay, God is good. Okay. He's faithful. Okay. You know, it's like all this stuff you learn yeah, in Sunday yeah. school, you know? And so you go right back to the, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you have to keep reminding yourself, you know, that all this stuff is true. Otherwise, yeah. if it isn't true in that moment, then you got to check your Bible into the river mm. and say, forget it. Cause you know, I don't believe it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's do or die. Either you're getting, get closer to God or you got to move farther away from God, you know? So the next morning they found my dad in the river and he was, he was drowned. Um, and you're dealing with that tragedy while still, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the coroner's or the sheriff stopped over and, you know, told my mom in person. So, and at that point, you know, I mean, I had a sliver of hope that she was alive and mm-hmm. I was like, well, that almost killed it because if my dad couldn't survive, how could my daughter? Yep. She didn't have her life jacket on or whatever. Um, unbeknownst to us, she had water wings on. So when my dad got sucked into the river, she floated down the river, grabbed a hold of some some weeds, climbed out, and she was in her bathing suit, uh-huh. climbed out, took off the water wings, was calling for my, my parents, and then she just started walking. You know, So the wetlands of Kankakee is this huge swath of land. Very dangerous, a lot of roots, a lot of stagnant ponds, uh, a lot of animals, yep. a lot of, you know, kind of like copperheads and everything. And it's miles and miles. So what she did was she hugged the river. She walked along the river. And as she was hugging the river, um, she she took off her swimsuit because it was chafing her. And then she would, like, buckle down and find somewhere to sit during the nighttime um, and just wait. She wouldn't. She didn't sleep. She didn't eat. She didn't drink anything because there's, like, really nothing to drink either, yep. you know? And so she would, she, and she just buckled down and she said later on that she really felt like God was watching over because she was, she was, uh, praying to God. Mm. She walked for, you know, on the third day she walked, all these third day. There you go. There you go. Third day she walked and she actually walked into the rescuers campsite where they were stationed. No way. Where the rescuer saw her, asked her her name and it was like. Okay, she's here, you know. Celebration. It was like the celebration, and it meant a lot for these rescuers because they're the ones who dredge the bodies up all yeah. the time. Yeah, they don't find live people. No, they don't. Yeah. Their job is not to find the live people, right? So this was a huge thing for them. Of course, it was huge for us. I mean, you couldn't believe the emotion that yeah. happened. 
Um, I mean, if anybody's interested in this story, uh, you can go on YouTube and look up Hannah's Miracle Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on there, there's like a couple of different things that we, we, we put some of the news footage on there. And I made like a little documentary about it, too, and everything. Um, but so what happened was the news got a hold of this. You know, it was a big thing in the news. And people and the newscasters kept on saying, oh, she's so strong. She's such a strong little girl. And I'm like, she hates the dark. She hates the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> she can't really swim. I said, God is the one who did this. You yeah, know? Yeah. So we got to talk to Good Morning America, Geraldo, just all these different people. And we kept on bringing out that you know God was working and yeah. Jesus was the one that we were thanking for this whole thing. Every single time they got a chance to talk to us, we brought up that God was working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you only get a, a stage like that once in a while, you know. And my daughter, miraculously, she came out really unharmed, just a few cuts and bruises. And psychologically, she was she was fine. What, <laughs> it's man. crazy. So now she wants to be a nurse and she wants to help people. I'm sure. Oh, that's a great. Uh, here's what my hope for you and your family is that just some calm. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. Just some calm. But that's cool. <laughs> that's a crazy story. As Mike said, I'd encourage you to go online and Google it. Uh, you said it's called Hannah's Miracle Story. On YouTube, yeah. And uh, you can find that. So uh, I don't have a third story I want to do in the next segment. In our last segment together, uh, I want to ask you some more pastor questions. But thanks for sharing those, man. I know it's yeah. probably uh, both encouraging but also hard to go back and tell stories. So hopefully that encourages some right. of you out there who are in the midst of the struggle. Absolutely. And uh, this is Mike Klemecki. And uh, joining us for one more segment coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, usually alongside Ian Simpkins, but Ian is out of town this week and uh, enjoying some family time. So I'm flying solo. My name is Brian Fromm, uh, but joined in this first hour today by Mike Klemecki. He is the pastor at New Hope Community Church in Villa Park. I got all of it right that time. If you go back wow. and listen, I've been getting the name wrong, the town that wrong, but... Uh, he is at, you are truly he is a professional. At, he is at New Life Bible Church in Lombard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, New Hope Community Church in Villa Park. So uh, I would encourage you, if you missed any of our previous uh, hour here, Mike told a, a story where he almost died, told then a story where well, that was all over the news, where his daughter was lost at the age of five for a couple days out in the woods. Just some crazy stories. We encourage stories. you to go back. So, uh I want to end up with you here just with a couple of things. One thing I've learned about you from getting to know you over, gosh, the last five, six years in this pastor's group we're a part of, everybody says about you that they don't know another pastor who has more of a passion to bring other pastors together mm. and to bring this kind of unity. Uh, you know, the the dirty little secret here for those of you who don't, who aren't pastors or don't know any is we all kind of have our own kingdoms and we usually stay pretty siloed. So we might know other pastors. We might go out to lunch every now and then. Right. But generally we do our things and, you know, we write our sermons and, and we do our programming. And part of that is out of necessity. You've only got so many hours in a week. Uh, but you've got a huge passion uh, to bring pastors and churches together in deep ways. So why don't you talk a little bit about what it is that you do to try to help foster that, and where does that passion come from? It is a dirty secret, isn't it? It is. It's we're like all regarded or something. We're all kind of right? siloed, right? Yeah, it's terrible. It's it's almost like uh, we all live in the same neighborhood, but we got these big fences. It's that true. Once in a while, we'll look over, but that's about it. You know? Yeah. 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 It, it, it's it's so sad. Um, well, I, the uh, the the passion comes from I you know what I said in the first hour um, 
my own frustration with myself uh, being so competitive minded about, you know, everything about church. Yeah. You know I mean, yep. you know, down to like parking lots and programs and all those kind of stuff, you know, and, um, and, you know, during that, uh, during that time that I, I did, you know, apologize to the pastors in Villa Park. Um, I, I, I did notice that pastors were pretty lonely people. Yeah. So because of that, I thought, well, geez, we, and you know, we should do something to help each other out mm-hmm. a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, anything, you know, any, any kind of thing would be good. So I, you know what, what I, th- I found was that pastors just need someone to listen to them. Yeah. Cause no one listens to us, you know, um, we're the, the paid listeners. Yep. And, and then, you know, I, I know, so notice that a lot of pastors don't know how to be listened to. Like they'll, you know, I'll ask them questions and stuff and, and they'll say something like really quick and then they'll move on to something else or whatever. But I'm like, no, no, slow down, man. Let me, let me just find out what's going on. Yeah. You know, what, what, what's happening. I like to go into pastor's offices mm. and ask them about like, cause the pastor's offices always has a bunch of junk in there, yep. you know? Yep. Like, where's this from? Where's this from? Where's this from? Because behind each one of these, like, little tchotchkes that's in the pastor's <laughs> office, there's, like, a story, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I I consider I consider it a uh, an honor to be someone who could, you know, listen to other pastors mm. and, and to uh, and to be somebody who, uh, you know, can can hear their struggles maybe and all yeah. that kind of stuff, if they, if they trust me. So I do lead a... Uh, um, uh, one of the co-leaders of a pastor's group in Villa Park and Lombard. It's uh, called Clergy Connection. So the tagline is that we go from uh, competition to connection to cooperation, right? Mm. So our little group is where you connect. And then our, our our hope is that, you know, people will get to see each other, talk with each other as pastors, and say, oh, I could work with that person doing this, or I could work with yeah. that person doing this. So let's do this together, you know, and kind of be like that kind of like a, a, a section of your life that you could say, oh, yeah, you know, they're safe. I yeah. could, let's do ministry together. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing, which I think, I think we need because yeah. otherwise we get, we get too crazy. You and you've I mean? caught some flack from some people, if I remember right, because you're, you cast a pretty wide net. Uh, basically, if you are, um, you don't, you, you don't have a lot of theological hoops to people to jump through to be part of this group. Right. And uh, why do you why do you cast that wide net? And what's some of the reaction you get from some of your other pastor friends? I think it's uh, you know it, it's a wide net because um, you know we we don't want we don't want like people judging each other necessarily, mm-hmm. um, and we want this to be a place where again where you just connect right. So it's 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 a, it's a light atmosphere. You know we try to keep it friendly and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are I mean and you know. There are times that pastors, you know, one pastor will say something that is pretty against or 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 pretty, you know, non orthodox, questionable, we'll you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like another pastor definitely will not agree with yep. that, you know. Yep. And so, I mean, we don't get a lot of like, you know, like like hardcore, like we don't sit there and talk about like you know theology necessarily. Yep. You know, yep. we talk about more stuff that affects our personal lives, um, but there is some occasionally some stuff that that comes up. And um, and we 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 encourage them to take it outside or, or well, take it to a lunch or take, take it, it outside. Take it to, <laughs> yeah, I know some uh, pastors that need to do that. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. And, and like you know, just talk one on one, right? Yeah, because that's what I had to do with my my Lutheran buddy who became a really good friend. Like we had to talk about you know the um, you know. How how you supposed to look at the Bible? We're supposed to talk about you know is the yep. story of Noah real or yep. is it not? Right. So yep. we had two totally different ideas about this, mm. um, and we had to we had to hash it out. 
And, I, you know, we didn't change each other's minds, but at least I got to understand where he was coming from. Yeah. And that was huge for me. He would always tease me and he would, like, I would refer to God as in the male, uh, in, yep, in, yep. In, the, in the male description. And he would, you know, refer to God as like, you know, a female or mm. whatever, just to get on just my, on you. my back. Right. <laughs> and then we'd have to talk about, it. and then he would explain why he does that. And yep. then I would go, okay, well, I don't agree, but I get it. I, at least I get it. Yep. You know yep. what I mean? Totally get it. So, and that's really, it's changed my heart, uh, as far as like just being able to understand people. You know, not agree with them, but yep. just understand them. You you are a big uh, bridge builder, and so uh, with the two minutes that we have left, I want let me ask you the question. I tend to ask. I like to ask most pastors when they come through here, mm-hmm. um, and it's this: Are you hopeful? Not just for the church, like your church, but like the big C church. Mm-hmm. When you look at the evangelical landscape, uh, are you hopeful? And sometimes we feel like the answer has to be yes. Maybe you're not, and that's okay. Um, are you hopeful or not? And maybe what either gives you hope or what is kind of sapping your hope for the evangelical church? You know, I just, I just came from Branson yesterday. <laughs> awesome. So you're talking about the Bible belt down there. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, it actually was refreshing down there because people talked in Christianese at you, you know, but at the same time I was a little, I was a little put off because I'm like, okay, are people doing this because they're expected to do this? Yeah. Do they really believe this? You know, I think that the, the church, as a whole, I think I'm um, I'm hopeful um, ish about it. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> and and I think uh, I mean I I've always had like a um, a frustration with the church in general, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I feel like we unfortunately we, we're still doing the stupid stuff we've always been doing is yep. is measuring success in the three B's right bucks butts and bricks how big it is, how much it costs, how many people we have, you know. And I and I and I know now after pastoring for like what, 25 years that you can't you can't do it because it pastors like it big, the people enjoy it small. Ah, and, that's good. And and if you like to have people's lives change and if you mm-hmm. like to know about it, um that's really where the hope comes from, yep. you know. If you have one one person in your life that Christ has radically changed your life, um, it's not because he went to like, you know, the, the best church with the best lights and the best sound system. Yeah. It's because Christ radically changed that person's life yeah. without a pew. He did mm. it one-on-one and you just maybe were there to help. You got to be a part of it. You got to be part of it. Yep. And that's all we can really base our, base our life on. So if the church is going to be, if the church is really going to be hopeful, it's going to be if we learn our place in yeah. God's timing and in God's will. That's good, man. Hey, I really appreciate you doing this. This, is, Thank uh, you, Brian. this has been a lot of fun hey, telling stories uh, from our 67 group. You're the first one that's been allowed on. So, you know, I, I'm we'll get Nels here one day the, just the, to give us wisdom and stuff like those that. Those other guys are, you know, questionable. <laughs> we're, we're the stable ones. We are. In there. Well, anyway, thanks for joining us, man. This is Mike Klemecki. I'm going to get it right this time. The pastor at New Hope Community Church in Villa Park. Thanks, everybody. Uh, it's been really fun to have you here, man. Thanks. That's uh, You are listening here to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, 
our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. And uh, flying solo a little bit today as Ian Simpkins will be out the rest of the week enjoying some family time, uh, hopefully enjoying some good summer weather and some good activities, and hopefully you are as well. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show online at 1160hope.com. You can podcast us wherever it is you get your podcast, whether it be Google Play, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever else you find your podcasts. And uh, go ahead there and subscribe, rate, review. That helps us. And uh, we'll thank you in advance uh, for doing that. You know, uh, John, I like to talk to our producer when I'm alone here. John, you know, uh, heading last night and now again tonight, taking my son to go to see the uh, the Mets White Sox. Because as a diehard Mets fan, when they come to town, you got to go support the team. Now, when they come to town to face the real Chicago team, uh, do you go to Wrigley? Which which would you refer to? Who are you referring to as the real Chicago team? Well, come on now. I mean, they don't play the Bears. They no. don't. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, we go to Wrigley as much as we can get tickets to those games. Ironically, the Mets came for one series. They used to come for two, but they came for one series this year. Uh, and it completely to the day overlapped with when my son was out of town for a baseball tournament and I was with my daughter in California. So the Mets came in for a four-gamer. And uh, I was gone for five days, and it was those four days. So, but oh. most most years when they're here, uh, I start reaching out, start calling in all my contacts for as many free tickets as I can get, and uh, take my son. You know what? I'm trying to raise him as a Mets fan. It's a difficult thing to do, not just being away from New York, but also because you know they're generally not good. And except so, uh, for 2015, there was that little they, sweep they of the Cubs killer. in the NLCS. They had there the Cub was, killer. I'm telling you, there was that little sweep. But uh, yeah, no, excited for tonight and. Uh, I like going to, what is it called now? Guaranteed Rate? U.S. Cellular? Comiskey? Yeah, the, the absolute dumbest name in the world. Yeah. I still call it Comiskey or I call it uh, The Cell. Yeah, I, I I like going there. Parking's easy. There's always, you know, little little usually some space between you and the next person. Although I, I live uh, in the northwest suburbs and it took me two hours to get there last time I went. For real? Yeah, it was an absolute nightmare of a drive and the parking really wasn't that who were they playing? Delightful. It was a uh, Sox car, uh, uh, Cleveland. Oh, They're so not even Cleveland. a game that should have been that busy. Well, okay. hopefully that's not the case the rest of this week, because then I got a day game on Thursday, trying to find my way there around the show, do it all, and uh, might be biting off more than I can chew here. Hey, man. But, but when they come to town, they come to town. That's your so. team, man. I get <laughs> it. I get it. There you go. Even though they're no good this year. We'll accommodate. Oh, man. Oh, why am I a Mets fan? <laughs> Let's talk about something else. <laughs> speaking speaking of pain, sorry, that's a, that's a bad segue, bad segue. Oh, Brian. We do want to jump into some hard stories. We like to laugh. We like to do fun stuff, but also uh, we like to do encouraging stories. But every now and then stories come along the way, whether out of the Christian world or just out of, uh, you know, popular culture, politics, whatever else that might be. And over the weekend or at the end of last week, uh, any of you who are uh, kind of following this story know that kind of the next shoe dropped with Joshua Harris. Let me give you some background if you're not familiar with who Joshua Harris is. Joshua Harris kind of burst onto the scene a generation ago with the writing of his book, I Kissed a Dating Goodbye. And it kind of was a revolutionary kind of a new look at 
at what dating could look like uh, for high school students, college students. The whole premise of the book was don't date. You instead, uh, by dating, uh, you're not going to marry these people. So you're just setting yourself up for heartache, but also building into kind of this divorce culture. And so it was based on the whole courtship model uh, of um, kind of treating dating uh, as as kind of a pre-marriage deal or whatever. It, it, people are, have railed against it, some people. It, but in many ways, it defined a generation, uh, my generation, quite frankly, of purity culture and dating and all of that. Well, a few months ago, or maybe we're going on a year now, Joshua Harris, uh, interestingly, distanced himself from that book. He said, I don't believe in the premises of the book. And, and that caused some just a big hubbub because you're like, man, this was like, <laughs> this book was held up, especially in youth ministries in the last generation as the book, the model uh, for Christian dating. Uh, and then Joshua Harris, he was the pastor of a, of a really big church, uh, North Carolina, maybe Kentucky, somewhere down that way. And uh, he left there to go back to school. So just a lot of strange things happening with him. And then uh, two weeks ago, I believe it was, he announced on Instagram, him and his uh, soon-to-be ex-wife, that they were divorcing, and or at least separating, and later it came out to be divorcing. And everyone was like, man, this is getting weird um, and sad. You never want to see a marriage break apart, a 20-plus or whatever year marriage with kids. Um, but to do it on Instagram was weird. And then the last shoe dropped this past weekend when Josh Harris uh, announced via Instagram that he is no longer a Christian. In it, he explains his, quote, deconstruction of a biblical worldview and further expresses remorse for many of his previous beliefs. And there have been lots of writings since then that have happened about Joshua Harris. And I want to touch on one out of a, a unique place, a, a blog called Pathios. Uh, and Pathios can swing the whole spectrum of really conservative to being really progressive uh, in its Christian blogging. And so uh, they wrote an article and it was written by Grayson Gilbert and entitled Farewell Joshua Harris. This is kind of an homage to John Piper's famous farewell Rob Bell tweet and all of that. Uh, and so I just want to read uh, one or two paragraphs. I would highly encourage you to go to Pathios and look it up. It's called Farewell uh, Joshua Harris. Um and, and he writes this, Gilbert uh, writes this, nevertheless, it is incredibly sad thing to witness. Here you find a man married for 20 plus years announces divorce amicably as if the separation of what God joined together is as low key as returning an unwanted grocery item to the store. If you saw the Facebook, the Instagram post, there was a casualness to it that was really uh, interesting. Just a few days later, we then find the stoic picture by a serene lake in scenic mountains announcing his departure from the faith. Truly, it is breathtaking, Gilbert writes, to view of the handiwork of our creator and the one who stands before it as if to say, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments, the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. He goes on to write, I look upon it, read and grieve for how casually he has thrown away the preciousness of the gospel. He may have chewed upon it. His mouth may even have salivated yet. He spit it out all the while, never tasting of it. He labored toiled even for years yet never for the sake of the gospel or out of the love of Christ. And Gilbert keeps writing and, and a warning about how many ministers out there might be doing the same thing. But then he, let me read the closing paragraph. The difficulty with Joshua Harris, Instagramming his way out of his marriage and subsequently his faith is that it is so apropos a metaphor for our generation. 
We are a trite people who think trite thoughts and display our triteness for the world to consume in equal measure, all the while fancying it is something of intrinsic worth when our lives are but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. For that reason, social media is the perfect representation of mankind in all its grandeur. It gives a soundbite generation the ability to showcase their cleverness, tolerance, inclusion, love, and whatever else they desire to highlight as virtuous before the eyes of men. What shall be laid bare, before, uh, bare th- though, before the sovereign is the heart, revealed precisely for what it is through the very word of God, which is able to pierce to the innermost part of man and judge its thoughts and intentions. That is how Grayson Gilbert closes this just sad chapter, this sad blog. And here's what I would encourage those of you out there uh, as you take this. In. Don't take this in simply as a, uh, a news story, but take it as a warning. Uh, one is be careful the people that you're uh, the, the the celebrity culture within Christianity. Joshua Harrison in one season was as big a celebrity, and I'm using air quotes for that word, uh, in the evangelical world as there could have possibly been. And now many people are really thrown by this. Uh, look up to people that you know, you know their character, you know who they are, and you know uh, what they're about. And, and I'd encourage you that. Be careful of the celebrity culture. And then if you're having some of these same types of doubts and and you feel this desire to deconstruct your faith and even throw it away, I would encourage you uh, to do that. Uh, Work that out with somebody you trust, somebody who can pray for you and talk to you and and discuss your questions. And uh, hopefully you'll come out the other side uh, having tasted the truth and tasted the goodness of of the gospel. That's my encouragement. And also be praying for Joshua Harris there. Uh, I, the, the Instagram post just, just drips with arrogance, but I would, I would pray. Uh, we believe that through the power of the Holy spirit, God is, is a lot more powerful uh, and can uh, eventually um, change Joshua's Harris heart. So let's be praying for that as well. Well, you can give your feedback on Facebook at the common good radio show. We'll post that article or we already have and uh, would love your feedback. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm flying solo for a little bit today as Ian Simpkins uh, is away, spending some family time here in the middle of the summertime. We hope he's having a good time. Uh, Look forward to having him back uh, here in a couple days. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com. You can also get our podcasts. And, uh, you know, sometimes we dive into really difficult topics here on the show, but sometimes we want to do things that laugh and uh, that are kind of off the beaten path. And, and we learned something that July, which today is the last day of July, July is, in fact, National Pickle Month. And we both, when John, we were like, this sounds like this is fun. I like pickles. You like pickles. And uh, with that in mind, we are joined by a guest. His name is Ben Gullett. Ben is from McClure Pickles. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys about National Pickle Month today. Absolutely. Let's just start there. I never knew that there was even a National Pickle Month, let alone it being in July. Where did National Pickle Month, when did it start? How did it originate? You know, it it really originates because... Pickles are a great, uh, you know, a great snack for the summer, perfect for, you know, cooking out. You want to put it on your burgers. Maybe you're going to make up a pickle relish to put on your hot dog. So really, National Pickle Month is a great time to, uh, 
to talk about pickles head up summer. Um, you know, it's just one of those popular uh, popular treats that you just want to have around. That's absolutely true. What's uh, what is the most favorite? What is the favorite kind of pickle that you guys find? What is the uh, what would be the number one seller? You know, when it when it comes to our pickles, people really love uh, our spicy pickles and the garlic and dill. Garlic and dill is always a good classic flavor. Um, me personally, I, I really enjoy the bread and butter because I can I can just put those on just about anything. I'm with you on that one. You just said bread and butter, and I'm like I'm salivating. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I am good to know. Uh, now, some people refer to pickles as uh, the perfect food, and why? Uh, why would you guys call pickles the perfect food? You know, when it comes down to it, pickles are, you know, there's something there for everyone, right? You can go from, it's the flavoring like we just talked about. Uh, pickles are great in so many different recipes. You can even put pickles in a martini. Mm. So it, it really comes down to not just, just the flavor, but even there's some health benefits as well, right? Um, the brine especially. You know, a lot of people just like to drink the brine. Um, because of the health benefits. What are those uh, health you know, benefits? What are some of those? You know, really, it's it's the the vinegar that's part of it. It helps boost your immune system. Really? It can even, you know, help with weight loss. Yeah, absolutely. Heart health. And, you know, again, it's just really good to drink. If you've never drank uh, pickle brine straight from the jar, I highly recommend it. Wow. I'm, I'm, I can admit that I've never done that. I am going to give that a try. That is, uh, I never knew that. That's fun. Well, maybe some other interesting facts. What are, uh, I'm sure... There are other things that are interesting about pickles or fun facts. What uh, Maybe tell our listeners some of those. Absolutely. So, you know, Americans eat about nine pounds of pickles a year. Is that right? Is just an insane number because pickles aren't that heavy. No. So to imagine that, there, that you can eat nine pounds of pickles for the average American, that is a lot of pickles. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's just one of those great fun little facts. You know, pickles, uh, you know, in the Delta region of the Mississippi down there, uh, what they call Kool-Aid pickles are really popular, which is just taking dill pickles, cutting them in half, and soaking them in Kool-Aid for more than a week. In Kool-Aid? Just, you know, wow. Yeah, you know, take some, uh, I think the really popular one is just taking some cherry Kool-Aid, mixing it up, lots of sugar, sticking the pickles in there for about a week, and you've got this, like, very cherry, very, but still that vinegar and uh, dilly sort of flavor to them. Wow. What, so I'm going to uh, show my naiveness here. Uh, how exactly are pickles made, right? Aren't they something with cucumbers? And uh, maybe walk me through the process of how pickles are made. Sure. You know, really, it's a it's a really simple process. You know, you're looking for you're looking for the right kind of cucumbers. Um, you know, if you're going to slice them, if you're going to put them in spears, or if you're looking just you know for like little gherkins, you might put those in. Um, and then for us, it's about keeping it simple, simple ingredients. Um, so for something like the garlic and dill, you're talking just garlic dill. Uh, vinegar into the jar, and that's it. You know, we, it goes through the process. There's not really any um, uh, any additives to it, so it, it, that's as simple as it gets. That is that is fascinating. Um, so in the in the summertime, people eat pickles mm-hmm. to primarily picnics and this and that. Do you guys see that in the business? How much? Uh, does it go up in the summertime versus, say, in the wintertime, or, or the, do you get it pretty steady? 
That's a great question. I mean, it's it's honestly pretty steady. Now, of course, you know, it's, it gets to the summer months, so people are definitely thinking about, you know, pickles. Um, but, you know, as we go into, start going into the fall, you know, pickles are a really popular dish to, you know, have with like a grilled cheese on the weekend, you know, especially if you've got kids around. So it's, it's a simple thing to add. Um, and something that we've actually been working on, too, is with our, what we're calling our little pickle uh, snack packs, which are great for packing in lunches. Um, you know, they're just you know, uh, single serve, they can go right into your lunchbox. So those have been really great too, as, especially as we're heading to back to the school time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe, hmm, what is one like a recipe you've heard or one way people have used pickles that, that like we're used to it, right? At a, at a, at a picnic or on a burger or something, but you've used, you said a martini before, but what is what is one or two interesting things you've heard people do with pickles in, in terms of recipes or drinks or something where you're like that, now that's crazy. That's, that's, that's a new one. Well, sure. You know, so yeah, the martini is a great one because, you know, you're combining your favorite vodka, uh, you know, and also, you know, the pickle brine, like what we talked about. So, you know, using that McClure's pickles brine as a great addition, you know, putting in a shaker, pouring your martini, you know, garnishing it with another little pickle, and you're good to go. But another great thing to even do with, uh, even with the brine, is using it as a marinade. Uh-huh. Um, I've done that a couple of different times where, you know, I, I buy a whole chicken, I create a, you know, a marinade using the brine, um, and it really imparts a lot of flavor. And, you know, some people have a hard time with, uh, you know, drying out their chicken when they cook it, but I'm telling you, the brine actually really helps to keep it moist. So you work for McClure Pickles. Why don't you, since you've been so kind with your time here, just again, when we heard that it was National Pickle Month, we were like, man, we got to do something. We got to we got to let people understand this a little bit more. Because, again, pickles normally just on the side of the burger on the burger. But um, tell us a little bit about McClure Pickles and where we could find them here in the Chicagoland. Maybe the little bit of the history of your guys's uh, business. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so McClure's Pickles started out, in, you know, in 2006. Uh, uh, Joe and Bob, uh, two brothers, they had their great-grandmother Lala's recipe, and they decided to, to kind of make a go of this. And so ever since then, you know, year after year, they keep being uh, more successful with this delicious pickle business. You know, here for National Pickle Month and even going into a little bit of August, we're actually celebrating a contest with our little pickle snack packs. We're asking fans to, you know, call this 1-800 number, leave a voicemail, you know, for a chance to win an entire year's worth of those little pickle snack packs. Uh, And if you're looking for McClure's Pickles in the area, um, we're right there at Jewel Osco or even Cost Plus World Market. And if you're looking for other locations, you can go to McClure's.com, uh, find, a, find a location near you. You can order them online, or you can learn more about our contest that we're running right now. Uh, you've been listening to Ben Gullett. He is from McClure Pickles. You can find McClure Pickles at McClure's, M-C-C-L-U-R-E-S dot com. Uh, and there you can find all sorts of stuff. Uh, ben, we're just appreciative of you. We are grateful for you jumping on as we wanted to have a little bit of fun with National Pickle Month. And uh, we're going to go out and we are going to enjoy some pickles tonight in celebration. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Have fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that was Ben Gullett. John, what'd you think? Are, are, does it make you hungry? You ready to go have some pickles? Oh, I'm always up for some pickles, especially the spicy ones. I'm such a spicy food person. And they're, they're, there's a company around here that also, you know, they, they make really good uh, spicy pickles with uh, cayenne 
and uh, jalapenos. But uh, you know, when he said the the perfect food, I got to think like like potatoes are kind of the perfect food as well. But there's <laughs> there's carbs. If you're going on a carbless diet, you got to think of something else, and you can't have as many potatoes. But the pickle seems like an excellent second choice for that. Are you gonna try the brine drink? I've you, done you, that. When he said that with the chicken marinade, I've done that with chicken breast before. But not and it's not, not as a marinade. He literally was saying as a drink. Would you? Uh, I have heard it as a punishment as for kids. <laughs> but you know, it, getting older, you start to like you know, your, your taste buds change and stuff like that. I, I might actually try that. Do you do you put ice in that? Is that literally like a drink? I'm gonna I'm gonna need to figure this out. <laughs> This is something. I, I don't know, Ben. Uh, do you put ice in it, or do you drink it as uh, as is? You know, I think you could put ice in it. I drink it as is because really, it's already cold coming out of the you know out of the refrigerator. Ah, yes, yes, you know, yes. Put it in there, so it's already kind of cold and uh, honestly refreshing. I'm going to try that. I know that. it's strange. Nope, I know it's strange. I, but it is actually really good. I love it, Bill. Ben, thanks for holding on. Uh, and again, it is July. Is National Pickle Month? Go enjoy a pickle. And uh, you can learn more about McClure's Pickles at McClure's.com. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, usually joined uh, each day by Ian Simpkins. But Ian is out for the rest of the week uh, enjoying some family time. So we hope he gets some rest, rejuvenation, good time with his wife uh, and his sons. Uh, so uh, I'm going to carry the, the show solo for the rest of this this afternoon. and uh, But would love your feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts on things. You can do so at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can also do so by texting us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed by your comment. You can find our uh, podcast wherever it is you do podcasts, whether it be uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that, that you get yours. Go ahead and um, uh, subscribe to that. Rate, review, tell your friends about it. There's a share button. You can share it with your friends. And uh, we appreciate all of you uh, who do that. You know, we just enjoy being together. One of the fun things of the summer is uh, is watching movies, going to see movies. So, John, uh, best movie you've seen this summer. I'm going to ask you because I'm going to preface this by saying I have not seen a movie this summer after having just said summer's a great time to see movies. But have you seen any movies? If so, best movie you've seen this summer? Best one so far I didn't expect to like at all. Oh. Uh, it was Toy Story 4. We're about to talk about that. Holy cow. In I, this I, article. It wasn't even a coincidence. That is the best movie I've seen because the only other movie I saw was Godzilla and that was horrid. I've, I would like to Horrible. go see Toy Story 4 with my kids. I've, I've heard mixed reviews about it. Some people said it was awesome. Some people uh, it were like, well, like, Toy Story, it's time for it to be over. But um, It is now. And like, you thought that Toy Story 3, oh, perfect ending. But like there were so many other questions that I didn't even know I had that uh, were totally answered in the fourth one. It's like, okay, this was totally necessary, and it was very well done. Uh, maybe I need to go see him. I yeah. like Toy Story 4. There's an interesting... Aside about Tom Hanks, he does Woody's voice through all mm. these, and the, he t- he talked the other day about the emotion that he felt in voicing Woody for the last time. Mm. That it's like uh, was part of him. So uh, that was very interesting. But the reason I bring up movies is out of Christianity Today. Uh, just uh, yesterday, I believe, or two days ago, an article came out called. Uh, it says this: Boomers take it from Woody or Iron Man. It's time to pass the torch. Brings up this really interesting concept through the movies, uh, and the subtitle is this: This summer's blockbusters showcase the importance of transferring wisdom between 
generations. And so this author by the name of Cutter Calloway, uh, Cutter Calloway is an associate professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary and the co-director of Real Spirituality, uh, writes a lot on on film and other things. Uh, Cutter Calloway writes here that if you look at one kind of common theme going through some of the biggest movies of the summer, that it's very interesting that one of the themes becomes um, this passing down of wisdom or this mentorship idea, this passing of the torch from one generation to the next. Uh, And he runs through a couple of them. And I'm going to remind you, John, I just said I've not seen any of these, but but a little spoiler alert here. Uh, Avengers Endgame. Did you see Avengers Endgame? Oh, you bet. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. It's hard. Um, I will spoil it for you because it's been too long. You should have seen it by now. But it says released a mere two months later, Spider-Man Far From Home. You've seen Spider-Man Far From Home? Yes, I have. Man, you're also seeing lots very of movies. Good. How old are you? 25? 25. Yeah, your prime movie time of life right there, man. <laughs> Is that so? Transferring knowledge. I'll there you that, go. Yeah. Spider-Man, it says, picks up where Endgame left off. It takes place in a world traumatized by the events of the Avengers movie, uh, including... Uh, the death of Tony Stark. Is that Iron Man, right? That's yes, Iron Man? Yes, that is. And, uh, but it says this. Uh, Thankfully, from the grave, Tony Stark comes to the rescue. Indeed, uh, it says Stark haunts every frame of Far From Home, and not simply because he sacrificed his life at the end for the sake of the universe. Instead, uh, not only does he intentionally cultivate a mentoring relationship with Peter Parker while he's alive, but he also strategically positions his own intellectual and material resources to help Spider-Man face an unknown future. And so Calloway writes this, in other words, mentorship doesn't happen by accident, not even with superheroes. And it certainly doesn't happen when each generation is pointing fingers over who's to blame for first societal issues. He then jumps into your favorite movie of the summer, Toy Story 4. What up? Uh, and it talks about how Woody, uh, he, he's kind of been the, the, the toy in charge, but now has trouble passing on to the next. And it says for Bonnie and the toys, he loves to have a chance to flourish Woody, much like the boomers in the audience, must find a way to let go, to let the other toys step fully into their vocation and to have enough faith in them to know that when he does, it's going to be okay. And it's interesting. Calloway says there it seems to be this movement, this idea that that there is an important step culturally where one generation hands the torch, passes the torch to the next generation, and he points out that's not just movies, that's not just societal, that's biblical. Uh, and he highlights Timothy uh, and Paul's relationship. It says, Paul himself intentionally mentored, mentored Timothy. Paul was confident in Timothy's ability to lead his Christian community wisely, not because Timothy possessed some kind, innate capacity for being and becoming wise on his own, but because the wisdom born by his Christian faith had been transmitted to him by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice in Second Timothy chapter 1. Verse five. And so he walks this article through how Paul passes on to Timothy saying, don't let them look down on you uh, because you're young. And then he talks about Jesus's words about you don't pour new wind, new wine into old wineskins. He says, if this summer slate of films doesn't convince you, then perhaps you'll heed the words of someone who knows a thing or two about pursuing wisdom in the midst of intergenerational crises. Quote, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and that's how he closes. And so it's this interesting thing. And I'm, I'm in a weird time in my life. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm 42. I deal with people uh, older than me and I deal with people younger than me. I'm kind of in that bridge generation right now, but 
this concept that that we are to be as we get older. One of our great tasks is to uh, hand over, whether it be the church or the company or just the culture at large, to hand it to the next generation. But it presupposes something. It presupposes that we have been doing the work to prepare the next generation uh, to receive it, right? It, it presupposes, let's just, because this is what I, the world I live in, let's take the church. It presupposes that the church is doing things to build into the next generation so that they are listened to, they are heard, they are valued, and they are prepared uh, to own their faith when they hit a certain age and not just the faith, but to lead the church and to lead the charge. And so the question for you out there, if you're a little older is, are you doing this? Are you doing this with your kids? Uh, are you doing this maybe with the high school kids in your church, or are you just glad that they're in another room doing something else? Is there anyone that you're picking up? I love to tell this story, but I'll tell it again. Um, the, the guy or two, uh, outside of my parents and my family, the guy or two who mentored me uh, when I was in a very formative age, besides my youth pastor, uh, were were people who from the outside didn't look qualified to do it. One of the guys just ran a company and uh, for some reason took a liking to me in our church and uh, we played softball next to each other on the church softball team and he started for years, just taking me out to breakfast and dinner. And I didn't know he wasn't like, Hey, let's start a mentoring relationship. He was just talking to me and asking me hard questions. And how am I doing? And I'm like free meal. Cool. I come out from New Jersey. I go to Wheaton college. Well, coincidentally, his business would take him through Chicago on a regular basis. And every time he would have a layover in Chicago, he would call me to come meet him in the city for dinner. And he would continue this relationship. And then when I started dating Carrie, who is now my wife, he would say, bring her with you. And he would start asking the two of us hard questions. And that guy, who I don't have much contact with anymore, that guy played such a a, a pivotal role in my life uh, formationally without telling me I'm playing a role in your life formationally. The church didn't say, that's your mentor. But instead, he said, you know what? He had multiple kids. He had a, a hard job. But he said, you know what? I'm going to spend some time with this kid. I see something in him and I'm going to build into him. And in many ways, what this guy did uh, bore a lot of fruit once I got older. And so my question for us is, I love what this article says about passing the torch. We don't do that well as a culture. You want to know how I know? Who's leading all of the presidential elections on both sides? I don't know. 70 year olds, uh, which is fine. But what's being done to pass the torch to the next generation. And I think that so many of our hesitant, uh, so many of us are hesitant to do that because we don't think the next generation is worthy of it. And that the, the, the thing with the learning curve here is that the people in the generation in front are the ones who have to grow up the generation behind them and bring them up. Someday we'll have uh, Ian's coworker, Dave Ferguson on. He wrote a fabulous book called hero maker that the goal here is not to be the hero of the story, but to help other people become the hero. And uh, I think if we took that up in churches, uh, in culture and government, man, this would be a different place. So I'd encourage you to read that at Christianity Today, uh, talking about the movies, an interesting way to get at it. But just this concept of passing the torch to the next generation. What do you think about that? Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, it's that time of day. It's that time of the show where we just 
uh, open up the vault of the internet and find what crazy stuff is in there. We're going to end up with uh, crazy stuff from the internet coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Uh, We're excited for you to have joined us on this Wednesday afternoon. Lots of good stuff. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast if you haven't already done so. And uh, But we always end the show the same way, and that's just with craziness that has been found on the Internet. Uh, not from my mind or from Ian's, but from our producers. And so uh, their goal is to make us squirm. So when I read this, we've never read these before. So if you're annoyed by them, if you're angered, uh, send your email straight to our producers. And so let's start it here. All right, California. After wheels stolen from car, couple gets parking ticket. Hmm. They just came, ripped off the wheels, and took off, says Dan Dow of San Francisco. Dow's 2016 Toyota Corolla was left on milk crates after a thief or thieves stole all the wheels from his car. His wife, Kristen Dow, said all four of the tires have been completely removed and they're sitting on black milk crates. And less than an hour later, they found a $79 parking ticket on the windshield for not moving the car for street sweeping. I was livid. I was completely livid when I walked outside, she said. This was such a slap in the face to an already horrible morning. A meter reader with the San Francisco Department of uh, Parking and Traffic ticketed the car as the couple was on the phone with police and their insurance company. Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? Yes, I do. Yes, I really do. I I, I believe that. I know it's not pretty to look at, but it'll get you where you want to go. (laughs) Second one, Tennessee. A woman woke up in her hotel room to find a snake on her arm. Melinda Major was asleep in her hotel room in Memphis, Tennessee on Friday morning when she felt something moving around on her arm. She was in town from Nashville for a doctor's appointment, and at first she thought it might have been her husband until she remembered he wasn't there with her. When she finally opened her eyes, what she saw was the stuff of nightmares. A thin green garden snake was stretched out across her arm. I'm not a snake person. I can deal with spider and uh, spiders and all sorts of other icky things, she said, but snakes are my, not my thing. Major said she immediately jumped up and slung the snake off her arm. It hit the headboard and bounced back onto the bed. She then leapt onto the other bed in the room and snapped a picture. The snake then started moving under her blanket, so she jumped onto the desk in the room and called the front desk. Any guesses? Uh, The snake's on a plane, no doubt. Snakes. (laughs) Why did it have to be snakes? Not snakes on a plane. Oh, Indiana Jones. Ah. Okay. Okay, next one's Australia. Cat started kitchen fire by knocking plastic wrap onto stove. A family cat's early morning antics in an empty kitchen have been blamed for a house fire this morning. Emma Rhodes said she and her daughter woke up to the smoke alarm about 6.15 a.m. I saw smoke and I absolutely panicked because my three-year-old was asleep and it was so thick you couldn't see through it all. Mrs. Rhodes, Miss Rhodes uh, grabbed her young child and fled outside where she called, apparently in, in Australia, you call triple zero. When firefighters arrived, they extinguished the small blaze and found the cause. Bell the black cat. It turned out that the cat had knocked the roll of cling wrap onto the stove and stepped on the ceramic cooktop, and it had turned on. Mrs. Rhodes said it was a touch-sensitive stovetop, which was primed to heat up when something was placed on it. Nobody was injured, including the cat. That thing had nine lives. She just spent them all. (laughs) 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 Woo! Canada. 
Wow. Okay. Driver caught dropping joint out window while speeding through playground zone. Oh, we're going to get emails about this one, my friend. Here we uh, go. That's my goal. It was a bad start on Monday for a driver who flicked a smoldering joint out of a vehicle while speeding in a playground zone, all while a Saanich police officer was watching. All told, the driver was hit with $937 in fines. The biggest was $575 for tossing the joint designated under the Wildfire Act as dropping or mishandling a burning substance. The driver also has to pay $253 for speeding in a playground zone and 109 for having an incorrect address on a driver's license. The officer, a drug recognition expert, determined the driver was not legally impaired. If he was, it would have turned out to be a really bad Situation. The officer chose to use his discretion and felt that the most appropriate tickets to be issued were the ones that were issued. Fast pointed out that Saanich police issued a public notice just last week on the danger of throwing cigarettes from vehicles. It followed multiple complaints from the public. Oh, you should be coming on pretty soon, dude. How much do you smoke? This will be a little demonstration of that. Listen, listen up. That was my skull. I'm so wasted. 20 seconds. That's our Come producers. On. That's, That's our Keith. producers. That one was Keith. Keith Conrad at SalemMedia.com, I believe. <laughs> so feel free to email him. Salem Media Chicago. Yes, if you were insulted by that, I'm so insulted as well. <laughs> Michigan. Youpers just discovered a pile of snow in northern Michigan in late July. Yes, in July. Uh, someone found snow in Michigan's Upper Peninsula in July. Buried underneath about eight inches of sawdust was a Michigan winter's last breath of cold, a middle finger to anyone who thinks the cold season can be beat. On the uh, Kiwania Peninsula, about 25 miles south of Cooper Harbor. Really? That was a total guess. I don't know. A mound of snow sat unassuming and uninterested in melting. The baffling discovery appeared in a video posted on Facebook on July the 24th. Snow, snow. That is uh, snow in the Upper Peninsula. Reason not to live there, apparently, in July. So, uh, Well, it's been a great day. If you didn't uh, hear Mike Klemecki the first hour, we'd, we'd encourage you to go back in on uh, the podcast. You'd be really blessed. Uh, if you do, we're excited to be together tomorrow. My name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.